Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I am Robert Winfrey. I am your host. I am flying solo again. I know I keep promising Jeff, and he keeps not being here, and you this is not bait and switch, I promise. He messaged me yesterday. He came down with a cold. His voice is all screwed up. So, and, and anyone who's had a cold that wound up with you, you know, with severe laryngitis, only happened to me once, but it has happened. So, hope Jeff recovers soon, and we expect him to be back next week. Although, at this point, you could probably take odds on whether or not I'm correct about that, and I wouldn't blame you for taking the opposite. Anyway, on the docket this evening, a review of last night's event. The UFC was in Greenville, South Carolina, and, you know, being a hardcore MMA fan is a... And I don't even consider myself the you know, all-that-hardcore an MMA fan. But there's uh, every now and then it does reward you for watching these bizarre cards that no one promotes, and we got a lot of that last night. Not card of the year. I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's all that much that's really going to stick out in my head. You know, five weeks from now even. But there was only one kind of dud of a fight, and you know if there's only one of those on a night with there were only eleven fights last night too. We had some fallout at the last minute. Uh, John Lineker got cut the uh, the day of the weigh-ins, uh, which really sucks because him and his fight versus Font was one I was really looking forward to. They moved a few things around us. So we'll go over all that. Again, really solid night of fights. And again, there's only a couple of things that I think are really going to stick out as time progresses, but I was very rarely bored watching the event, and I'll I'll take that these days. Also, a preview of next week. The UFC is back on ESPN proper for... uh, They're in Minneapolis uh, for that event. Which is a really decent event on paper, which now makes me very scared, because last night's... I said this is I am recording on Sunday, so last night's event on paper was a lot of... Yeah, and really, really overperformed. So that makes me kind of hesitant about, boy, I sure am looking forward to, you know, four of the five main card fights on this next card. Watch them be duds. Ugh. Again, matchmaking, guys. I, I'm, I've am said frequently, I'm happy to <laughs> acknowledge that is a very, very difficult job. Just in practice, to say nothing of... Just getting things together, to say no, nothing of, you know, the actual in-fight chemistry, whether or not it develops or not as a fight progresses, so... And then there's been some news over the last week... Not a lot, but a few fights got made, a few main events got made, and a few events are... I, I almost want to make that its own thing. There's some events that are in trouble, and when we get to the... When we get to talking a little bit later about some of those... Some of those events there, because there's one uh, about a month out or so that doesn't have... Uh, I'll get to it later. Uh, I'll get to it when we talk about some of the fights that have been confirmed or not. Alright, so let's jump into last night. UFC on ESPN plus 12. Again, this was the UFC's debut in the state of South Carolina. They were in the city of Greenville. I believe originally they had planned on having Stephen Thompson, who is a native of that city, in addition to the state, be part of that card, but it didn't materialize for whatever reason. I'm not sure. I haven't seen... I know that was kind of the plan, but he wasn't able to make it. I don't know if it was injury-related or related to his last loss or what have you, but... Anyway, uh, that said, the main event, 
The Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung defeats Hanato Moikano via TKO 58 seconds into the first round. Uh, Jung is the only featherweight in the UFC, if not in UFC history, to have two finishes in less than a minute. For those of you who don't mind jumping in the Wayback Machine, a few years ago he knocked out Mark Hominick in like six... Jeez. That was a, there was an argument, there was some discussion about whether or not that was the fastest knockout in UFC history. So we're talking less than eight seconds. He just came out and blasted Hominick with a right. Uh, I have never really been able to get a handle on Chan Sung Jung from an analytic perspective. Because his last fight with Yair Rodriguez, I know a lot of people remember it fondly. I was significantly less engrossed in it than most people. I wasn't bored, but there was a lot of... I've said that it was a lot of the same. Like, if you watch any kind of two-minute chunk of that fight, you've seen the whole fight. It was a lot of the same stuff over and over and over and over again. And then he throws it away in the last second and gets elbowed and knocked out. Again, one of the craziest knockouts you'll ever see. Uh, that that finish from Yair Rodriguez. Absolutely insane. Then he comes back against... And look, Hanato Moicano is a better fighter than Yair Rodriguez. I think that's pretty definitive. He's faced better opposition. He's succeeded against higher levels of opposition. He's looked better even in losses. I mean, again, his only losses prior to this fight were to... Uh, Brian Ortega, and he was doing very well in that fight prior to the finish. And to Jose Aldo, who's, you know, the featherweight goat. Ugh, I hate saying that. I mean, it's, he lost to Jose Aldo. Like, that was kind of it, and now he's lost to Jung. So I don't feel too... I don't think it's a controversial sentiment to say that Moicano's a better fighter than Rodriguez, at least as demonstrated up to this point. But here, Jung goes in and just starches him in less than a minute. I mean, I've never really got a handle on the Korean zombie. He's a well-rounded fighter. He can, he's got decent striking. He's got really, you got solid grappling. He's got good takedowns if he wants them. He scrambles well. There's, he's good pretty much everywhere, but he just, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it was just, you know, lapses in concentration and judgment. Because, again, he was winning that uh, that Rodriguez fight. He th- he basically threw that away. Because <laughs> if that final bell rings and he's conscious, he wins that fight. Uh, uh, based on all the judges' scorecards, yeah, even if Rodriguez won the last round, he would have got a... He, uh, that would have resulted in a split decision rather than a unanimous one, but... Uh, two of the three judges had him up 3-1 to one going into the fifth round, and one of them had it even. I had him up, I think, 3-1, to one, if not all four rounds. And he was winning, I think it was 3-1, to one, and he was winning the fifth. <laughs> like, he was winning that round. <laughs> so he would have won, again, assuming he doesn't get finished, you know, he wins a unanimous decision because he won that last round. But... Uh, just, I don't know, again, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I've really struggled. I mean, this guy got head kicked by George Roop. And George Roop was never anything special. Good fighter, in a lot of ways. Very good fighter. But, you know, we don't talk about, you know, we don't, <laughs> I mean, 
You, you think about George Roop, and that's just kind of an it's almost an odd name to pull out of your hat, so to speak, when making a reference like this. I imagine there's a lot of people out there listening to this who might not even know who George Roop is. I remember he was vastly undersized on a lightweight season. He competed at lightweight for the Ultimate Fighter. He's a natural featherweight slash bantamweight at times. I mean, he did a number on himself to get down to bantamweight. And yeah, uh, Jung's second fight in w- in the WEC. He debuted against Leonard Garcia in a fight he should have won. Uh, lost a split decision because Leonard Garcia won a bunch of decisions he should not have won. Like, uh, it, it's a meme. It should be. If <laughs> uh, I mean, nowadays it seems, you know, Canelo Alvarez has taken that spot over, but for a long time... The joke was, oh, I score the fight 30-27 for Leonard Garcia, even though he loses every round. Because there was always that judge. And apparently, more than not, more often than not, there were two of them. Ugh. Then, yeah, George Roop kills him with a head kick. And, I mean, he rebounds. He beats uh, Garcia in a rematch when in his UFC debut with a twister. Great submission. Goes on a run towards the title. Doesn't have anything for Jose Aldo, but, you know, Jose Aldo. So, here in this fight, it was just Moicano kept his head on the center line and kept kind of coming in behind a very basic 1-2. And I'm a big believer in fundamentals, but you have to... You can't be as predictable as he was. He was doing a lot of the same thing over and over and over again. He comes in on a straight line, he keeps his head straight up in the air, fires a jab that Jung slips and just cracks him in the head with a right. Uh, hits him with a left hook as he's kind of falling, gets on top, and is able to pound him out. And, I mean, again, one fight ago, the Korean zombie threw away a win in the name of quasi-excitement, I suppose. Again, just one of the dumbest decisions you could make in that moment. Now he fights a better fighter. (laughs) Hinato Moicano, I think he wants to go by Carnero now. Carnero was... Number the number five contender, right? So he steps up in competition after the loss, and beats the guy in less than a minute. I I cannot, for the life of me, really kind of get my head around around the Korean Zombie. It's an odd. He's an odd guy to really get a handle on. Uh, sucks for Carnero, man. Dude's thirty, so he's not. You know, he's not out of it, but. Man, it's it's tough because this is two in a row, two finishes in a row even. And I mean, this was a guy that a lot of us had some pretty high hopes for. And if you look at some of his wins in the UFC, they're good wins. Uh, his debut was a good win. Uh, the Jeremy Stevens fight should not have been a split decision. He won that clearly. Looks well. It looks pretty good against Ortega before getting submitted. Beats Cater, beats Swanson. I mean, he finished Swanson in the first round. Like, this is very clearly a skilled competitor. But, I mean, again, these back-to-back losses and back-to-back finishes, he's going to need, he needs some rehab at this point for his, you know, his career. And it sucks because he's very good. He's a very, very good fighter. But you have to be able to put all that together on fight night. And last couple of times he didn't. As for Jung, I don't know what you do. Uh, You know, you could do a rematch with Aldo. 
uh, I mean, I know their first fight isn't exactly beloved. I mean, I loved the way after he threw his shoulder out, Jose Aldo just kicked him in it like three or four times before the stoppage. Because I, you know what? When you're in there and you're fighting, as long as you don't break the rules, I say go for it. And if your opponent has, you know, uh, tweaks their knee but doesn't, I mean, again, if, the, if you hit them after the bell or whatnot, I have less tolerance, but... You know, if your opponent tweaks their knee and the fight's still going on, yeah, kick them in the knee. Your opponent throws their shoulder out. There was another fighter on this card where that's a relevant point. Your opponent throws their shoulder out. Yeah, kick them in the shoulder. <laughs> I'm, f- You know, you swell up someone's eye with punches. Yeah, go to the side that they're blind on. I'm, I'm all for that. I really am. And I, I got a kick out of Aldo doing that in their fight. I know it's kind of... You know, quasi-sadistic of me, but, you know, we're watching people bludgeon each other in a cage for entertainment. Like, I'm not under any illusions about this. So, and I wouldn't hate that rematch, you know, if you wanted to do Aldo versus Jung as, you know, one of Aldo's last fights. This might actually be his last fight. You know, you could do worse. Um, If you wanted to try and move... Jung up and have him fight another relevant contender. You know, him and Zabit, I don't know if Zabit has a fight lined up. Uh, Jeremy Stevens came out after the fight and said he'd love to fight the Korean zombie. That's a crazy violent fight. I'm down for that. So I I think those between those three is probably where you're going to see his next opponent come from. It's either going to be, again, a rematch with Aldo, Zabit Magomed Sharipov, or Jeremy Stevens. I think Zabit does have a fight lined up, actually. Hang on, let me see if I can find that listed, because I know they talked about it. No, he beat Stevens, but I don't think we have a fight for him lined up next just yet. So, I'm, I think any of those three are the most likely, depending on, again, depending on a few other... Yeah, there's always a lot of moving pieces in these fights, and it gets even weirder when you factor in, you know, the geographic regions that the UFC might want to go to, and they might plug Jung against someone lower ranked than him just because that other guy is a native of some country they're going to. That's happened. Or they'll run a show in South Korea, and Jung will be in the headliner, and he'll fight someone, again, not terribly relevant, just or less relevant, because that's the available, you know, that's who's available that makes sense for the UFC's perspective. Uh, I don't know, weirdness, but I I like any of those three fights, personally. All right, uh, co-main event. Randy Brown defeated Brian Barberina via TKO in the third round. This was a decent fight. Um, Randy Brown has, he's got some reach on him. He did a good job of kind of keeping Barbarina at distance for large portions of this fight. Um, Barbarina needs to work on his his uh, cage craft because he does a lot of following, and that and Randy Brown was able to exploit that. Randy Brown invested very heavily in body work, and that's what paid off in the third. He kind of caught him with a front kick to the body that got him, you know, getting ready to go, and then just flurried. He finally dropped him with another body shot and. You know, you pay it, you guys in the space. There's a lot of very, very tough guys when it comes to getting hit in the head. Invest in body work. It will pay off. Because you know, hitting Brian Barberina in the head, 
I mean, look at how many shots it took Vicente Luque to accomplish that. It also got into the third. And it took... a He landed a bunch of clean shots, and it took just a barrage of knees to finish it. And, and you know, not to say that he's soft to the body, because he isn't. Barbarina, that is. But that's... He's one of those guys that that's probably an easier pathway to success than trying to hit him in the head. <laughs> exclusively. Uh, I don't know what you do with Randy Brown next. He's been kind of up and down. Um... Yeah, because he was knocked out by Nico Price right before this. And he said... I don't think he called anyone out specifically. I mean, I don't think he's ready for, you know, a, a top 15 guy. At welterweight, even. But... Because uh, welterweight's a fairly stacked division. Uh, let's see. I, I mean, there's Vicente Luque. I mean... Granted, they both just beat Barbarina, and I don't think Luca has another fight lined up. So you could maybe do that if you wanted to go kind of towards the top 15. If you want to, and I think you do kind of want to kick him out, keep him out of the top 15 just yet. I, I That just kind of feels like it would. I don't know. Yeah, it just... I, I don't think he's ready for that. I think it does him a bit of a disservice, and I think it does... Uh, so yeah, again, it does him a bit of a disservice, and I think it does the division a bit of a disservice if you just kind of jump him up like that. So I don't think. So I again, I don't think that's the direction they're going to go, necessarily. And for some reason, oh god. Okay, the U- I'm trying to look up just like the UFC's roster at the moment, and their interface is terrible. Because I, I just want to <laughs> filter the. I just want to filter by. I want to filter by weight class. This shouldn't be hard. Uh, let me see if I can find a better way to do this. You know what? I don't think there is. This is the weirdest thing. Why they? I don't know why they gen. Why they don't just have a <laughs> sort by weight class? Because, or if they do have one, it's profoundly hidden. Ugh, that is so annoying. All right. Well, I can't do that then. I guess unless I just want to rely on a Google website. So I, I think you keep him coming along, but you keep him coming along, you know, more against again the outside the top fifteen level of opposition is probably where you want to keep him right now. But he looked good. He fought a more disciplined fight than he than he has in the past here. So, you know, credit to credit to Randy Brown for a solid performance. Uh, let's see. Andre Ewell defeated Anderson Dos Santos via unanimous decision, 229-28-129-27. Uh, when they were on the feet, especially at distance, uh, Dos Santos had very, very little for Ewell. Ewell had fast hands, he had straight punches, and just abused Dos Santos until the third round when Dos Santos was able to finally get things. And let me be clear, Dos Santos is not a bad striker. He's not a 
takedown at all cost guy. He was he was throwing back. He just didn't really have the technical acumen to handle Yule on the feet. So he it looked a lot like, you know, a, a brawler against a boxer who knows what he's doing. And then again in the third, Dos Santos was finally able to get some takedowns. Uh, was the superior grappler. Pretty, pretty clearly. Again, Yule, not not unskilled, not completely out of his element on the ground, but there was a definite skills gap there in favor of Dos Santos. Yule was able to force his way back to his feet, kind of rode out that third round, won the decision. Uh, Yule called out Bryce Mitchell, I believe. I might be confusing that for another... No, I think that was the fight. I think that was the fight that that happened in. And you know what? Was it? God, this is going to bug me. I think it was him. Though now I have to confirm that, so... I just want to confirm his weight class, because somebody called him out. Fights at featherweight... Oh, it was Ike. Okay, it was Ike that did it. Uh, I don't think Andre Ewell called out anyone specifically. So, I don't know. Ewell's a, again, he's a good guy, but he's still very much in, in a lot of ways, he's still in the development phase of his career. So you you just kind of have to keep him, you know, more in the meat grinder segment, closer to the bottom part of the division. But, there's a lot of skill in that guy, and a lot of reason to be optimistic about his future. And Dos Santos is uh, 0-2 in the UFC. I mean, he took his first one on kind of short notice, but... And, and up at featherweight, I seem to recall, so, you know, credit. And he showed some skills. So I think he'll get one more shot, but... He's really gotta... He, his back's gonna be up against it in that fight. Andrea Lee defeated Montana De La Rosa 30-27 twice, won 29-28. I cannot for the life of me figure out which round would go to De La Rosa. Um, Andrea Lee looked really good in this fight. She busted up De La Rosa's face with her jab. She kicked well to the body and leg. She anti-grappled very, very effectively. Good work in the clinch. Uh, you know, good clinch breaks. Uh... I mentioned last week, I think, that you know Montana has a style that has caused Andrea Lee some problems in the past. And I think at the very highest level, that skill set still, do, still might give her problems. But uh, she's, she's aware of that and has very clearly addressed it. Uh, really, really good performance from her in this fight. Um, she was number 10 in the division. We know who Shevchenko is fighting next. Let me see. She's probably going to move up a little bit. Uh, let's have a look here. I mean, you could do her and, uh, you know, Roxanne Mod. You got. I think you have to give her someone ranked above her at this point. So you're going to be looking at, you know, a Joanne Calderwood. Is Calderwood ranked that high after losing her last fight? That's that's kind of a weird thing. She went her no, she lost her last fight. I'm almost positive. 
Yeah, she lost to Caitlyn Chukagian. Okay, Chukagian. Gah. Yeah, that fight was just so bad, I blocked apparently a lot of it from my memory. So I, I think you're going to be looking at Lee against uh, you know Roxanne Modafferi, maybe Joanne Calderwood, Alexis Davis, someone along those lines. And you know if she keeps improving because she's a, she's got a very legitimate skill set. She's um she's uh, when I say she's big for the weight class, I don't mean you know I she's she's a big woman for that weight class. Uh, because Montana De La Rosa is not a small 125-er, and when those two were next to each other, Andrea Lee looked bigger. So, I'm not again. I'm not saying she's gonna you know be the one to dethrone Valentina or you know, fight for the belt in the immediate future. But there's a lot that's really good about her skill set. That's a very developing division, and. <sighs> Again, if she fought Valentina next, would I give her a chance? Not really. Uh, just this, even even Andrea's specialty, which is striking, is just she's a bit too far behind Valentina in that respect. And but and I don't think even a, a, her plan B, which might be to force grappling, uh, yeah, I don't think she's good enough there to force Valentina out of her comfort zone, or you know, even just. If she initiates grappling, not just get out grappled by Valentina. But I do think if she continues to improve, given her youth, because she's... I think she's barely 30. Yeah, okay, she turned 30 this year. Uh, in February of this year. But she, again, she's young. She's still ver relatively young in that respect. And if she you know, kind of hammers out some of those issues that she has with her game and really refines a few things. Uh, she's a problem for a lot of that division. A lot of that division. I mean, I think if right now you booked her against, you know, Calderwood or Modafferi, I might favor her. Not not heavily, but I might favor her in those fights. So, as for De La Rosa, I mean, again, women's flyweight is not really in a position where they can cut a lot of people, especially ranked people. So I expect she'll just wind up fighting further down in the division next time. Uh, someone like, you know, Pollyanna Botello, Paige Van Zandt, someone unranked even. But another decent enough fight. Kevin Holland defeated Alessio DiCirico via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. I scored that fight for DiCirico. I think I had him 30-27, which I'm not sure is correct. Um, that said, this was our dud fight of the evening. Uh Holland popped his shoulder in the second round at some point. They popped it back in between rounds. And somehow, despite having a compromised right shoulder, he was still slightly more active in the third round than DeChirico. I imagine DeChirico just thought he was ahead two rounds and wasn't going to do anything crazy in the third. And fair play, I you, there's a, but there's a difference between I think I'm up in a fight that is relatively close. So, uh, sorry, let me rephrase. There's a difference between having two rounds clearly in the bag, which he did not. Again, I, I had him up two rounds. No one else did, apparently. And really, I don't think uh, Kevin Holland taking the first round would be all that controversial. Just because he spent so much time with you know, pseudo-control against the cage, even though he didn't do much with it. 
but so even again, even if you you know are given my scorecards, you you can't feel good about where you are. You want to go out there and you want to make sure you win the third round. You don't have those two rounds banked definitively. And if that and if you do have them banked definitively, then in the third, you know, okay, don't do anything crazy. If you think you're up two rounds and you're going into the third, make a concentrated effort to win the round without doing anything absurd. And he didn't do that. I mean, again, I thought he won, but after that third round, man, uh, you got outworked by a guy with a compromised shoulder. You have to put in more of an effort than that. So, again, thought the wrong guy won, but this was the dud fight. Eh. So, and if it was the only real dud, then, you know, I'm okay with that. Uh, Dan Ige defeated Kevin Aguilar via unanimous decision. 229-28s, 129-27. Oh, this was a good fight. Uh, Aguilar's got a chin on him, man, because it took until the third round for him to finally kind of get dropped, and Ige landed some bombs on him. Uh, they were around a piece going into the third from where I sat. Ige had the first with cleaner technique, more impactful punches, better defense. In the second, Aguilar was able to land a few good punches, but also reversed a takedown attempt and got some top control time. And considering that Ige didn't, you know, do enough to counter that throughout the rest of the round, and I mean, Aguilar, you know, was not just hanging out on top. He worked from top position. Then going into the third, it was a little bit back and forth, and then towards the end, Ige just finally found a home for a few punches, rocked Aguilar, but Aguilar you know, wouldn't go down. Uh, good win for Ige. Ige called out Bryce Mitchell. Sure, make that fight. Uh, I mean, these are two guys that you're really happy to have in the division. They're good fighters. They're action fighters. And they, and you know, when you find that combination, it's good to have around. Uh, I mean, both guys were on winning streaks. Aguilar's very long, including a couple of wins in the UFC. Ige's only got the one loss, I believe, in the UFC, and that was his. No, he's undefeated in the UFC. No, he no he can't. Uh, Julio Arce beat him, and he's won now four in a row since. And Julio Arce is really good. <laughs> uh, Arce's got some pretty serious potential. Um, Ashley Yoder defeated Shiri Kondo via unanimous decision, 30-26, 30-25, 30-24. Yeah, on the mat, this was a wipeout for Ashley Yoder. And Shiri just couldn't keep the fight standing consistently enough to really do a whole lot with it. Um, not a whole lot else to talk about there. Luis Pena defeated Matt Wyman via TKO in the third round. Um... <laughs> Matt Wyman, just, I think, a victim of the game passing him by. It was noted on Twitter that some of the leg entanglement sequences he went for against Pena in the first round especially are the same kinds of things that would have drowned a lot of the guys that were active when he was competing in the UFC originally. Because for those who don't know, Matt Wyman debuted in the UFC in 2006. Uh, but he was knocked out by Spencer Fisher with a flying knee. Uh, went on to win four in a row, lost two, won three. But if you look at, again, the sequences that he was throwing at Pena 
you know, guys like Sam Stout. I mean, even some of the guys that he defeated. Uh, uh, Shane Nelson, Mac Danzig, Cole Miller, you know, Dennis Seaver was when he lost. But the, a lot of those guys would have been just drowned in that in those leg entanglement sequences. Whereas Luis Pena knows what's up in them and was able to kind of slip through and just abuse him until the ref stopped it in the third. This was a very one-sided fight. I think it gave Pena both rounds 10-8 going into the third, and he had a 10-8 third prior to the stoppage. I mean, they were a minute into that third round and just, yeah, just all one-way traffic. And you know, credit to Matt Wyman for coming off of a massive hiatus. He'd been on the shelf for like almost five years, uh, well over four. Just kind of healing his body up and whatnot. And you know, credit to Pena for putting it on him. You, know, you got to win those fights if you're supposed to win them. You do have to go out there and perform, and he did. Uh, Jarzino, uh, I believe it's uh, my pronounce with an. I have to look that up. I'm going with uh, I'm going with the J, but it might be more of a Y sound. Um, Jairzinho Rosenstrike defeated Alan Crowder via knockout nine seconds into the first round. Uh, Crowder just kind of hopped forward into a jab that off balanced him. It was a stiff jab, but his feet wound up going out from under him. He dropped. Rosenstrike got on top and just hit him a few times, and he went out. Rosenstrike has some power, man. Uh. If nothing else, I mean, there's not a whole lot you can talk about with a nine-second fight, but dude hits hard. Dude hits really hard. Uh, Molly McCann defeated Ariane Lipsky via unanimous decision, 30-27. Not a bad fight. Uh, Lipsky, something's not really connecting with her in the UFC. I mean, she's had some tough, you know, her debut was against Joanne Calderwood, who's a tough fight. But I don't know if it's a distance management thing that she's not really feeling. I don't know what it is, but uh, Molly McCann was able to defeat her without a ton of opposition. I mean, the best offense that Lipsky had was some body kicks. Anytime they got close, she couldn't really deal with the hooks of McCann. And McCann you know, was able to crack her on the feet, was able to get her down was able to, you know, kind of work from top position. And if you're getting out grappled by Molly McCann, this is not a shot at Molly. But she's not, I imagine, even by her own admission, you know, a world-class grappler. And if you're on the wrong end of the grappling with her consistently, that's a pretty big hole in your game. So, you know, good win for McCann, who's, you know... But, uh... Yeah, again, this was a fun, this was an engaging fight. It wasn't boring by any stretch of the imagination, so credit to credit to McCann for that. I mean, as for Lipsky, I mean, she's 0-2 in the UFC. She's probably going to wind up, I saw this on Twitter, I think I'll agree with it. Put her up against either, you know, um, uh, who was the woman who just beat Priscilla Cachuea? Luana Carolina, I believe. You know, put her against her, but if you can't beat, if she can't win that fight, man... Might be time to cut bait with her at the moment. And kicking everything off, Duran Wynn defeated Eric Spicely via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Really engaging fight from these two. This one fight of the night deserved to win fight of the night. Uh, fun brawl. Duran Wynn has some hands on him. Uh, he needs refinement, but he's got some thudding power. 
He's got some... Uh, he didn't even really use his wrestling in this fight. And given Spice Lee's jiu-jitsu credentials, was probably a good dis- uh, tactical decision. But, you know, when comes... when has a legitimate, you know, international amateur wrestling pedigree. I think he qualified for, like, the U.S. men's national team more than once. Uh, I'd have to double-check. Forgive me, I have to remember. I don't remember all of the ins and outs of this. But he's he's got some legitimate, again, not just collegiate wrestling experience, though he has that as well, and is uh, and has you know, a very decorated amateur career, a decorated collegiate career, whether it's all amateur. But I think he has actually wrestled internationally, and there's a pretty significant difference between success at the collegiate level, even in the American system, which is a very very difficult thing to achieve. But if you look, I mean. Pay attention to how many guys and girls go from success at the collegiate level to success internationally. Uh, there's a lot of really good collegiate wrestlers who never cut it at the, on the international scene. So to be able to succeed at both, and I mean, the reverse is somewhat true as well. There are some guys who are just more built in terms of their style for either Greco-Roman or freestyle rather than folk style. And, but to succeed at both, you know, and again, he's, so he's done, I mean, King Mo was kind of that way. King Mo had a lot of international experience, but never really, but, you know, I don't think he meddled all that often. I'd have to double check King Mo's uh, pedigree as far as that goes, but I know he did wrestle internationally, legitimate world-class wrestler. And, you know, again, there's still some refinements that Wynn needs, but this was like his sixth fight. He's 6-0. and if he can get those refinements, and he's at a team that can do it. I mean, he's at AKA. So he's at a good, world-class team. I know he's, he's real short for middleweight. He's like 5'6". But he's also... I mean, look at him. I don't think he can make 170. He's a thick boy. <laughs> he's a really thick guy. I don't even think if they bumped it up to 175... That he, that would really be all that feasible for him. Might be more feasible than 185 than 170, but he's just gonna have to deal with being the shorter guy. Because there's some giants at middleweight. I mean, a few of them have now left for 205, but there's some big guys in that weight class. And being shorter is not it's not a death sentence but it is something you have to learn to fight around i mean the same way being the really tall guy is something you have to learn to fight around you have to know what positions are that's advantageous for and what positions it's not and how to maximize that there's times be having that shorter stockier stature can be used to your advantage you just have to know how to fight to it so i'm really uh curious to see where duran win goes from here he's yeah, there's a lot of potential there, but potential's a bit of a double-edged sword. You know, you can... Uh, there's plenty of guys who go their whole career, and it winds up being said of them, but they had such potential, <laughs> instead of, you know, what they talking about what they actually achieved. But that was, uh, that was it. Uh, thanks to those who read my report, <laughs> uh, if anyone. This was not a well-publicized event. It really wasn't. But for those of us that did watch it, you know, again, every now and then, I actually mathed this out once. I took a look at, you know, all these 
events that we all kind of on paper go, eh, I don't know. Or, eh, this, you know, there's not a whole lot here that's really kind of captivating my attention. And the number of times they actually overperform. And you wind up going, you know what, I'm, you know, that was a darn good night of fights, I'm really glad I watched that, etc., etc. Because I did the math on it once, and it wound up being, I think, 1 in 6. Might have been 1 in 7. I forget the exact number. And it's probably changed. The math has changed since then if I wanted to go back and redo it. But it used it used to be a stupid, you know, promotional talking point. Anytime one of these, the you know, the press would ask Dana, you know, this this car doesn't have a lot of buzz. Where, you know, there's not a lot of, for want of a better phrase, you know, sex appeal at the top. And then that, after the fact, you'd go, yeah, but, you know, we had a great night of fights. How many times have I told you guys, how many times have we seen these cars? Again, it's a stupid promotional talking point. But it does happen on occasion, and I was just kind of curious after one of them. Okay, what are the odds? You know, how many times do we see it? And I think back, you know, when the UFC had a lighter schedule in terms of events per year, it was probably more true, just because of density of talent relative to events. Uh, again, recently, it's eh, it does happen, but it's a lot more. It might be a lot more spread out now relative to then. Because I think it was something like one in six. If you took the events that you kind of went, okay, no excitement on paper. How'd you feel after the end? You great night of fights kind of thing. More recently, we've kind of trended towards, eh, I didn't have a whole lot of expectations for this card. And it turned out to be a perfectly acceptable night of fights rather than, you know, a dreadful one. So, I, so again, it's nice, you know, I think Luke Thomas said it best, and there was a pay-per-view event that this was also true of. I can't remember which one. Featured Max Holloway near the top of the card. I can't remember who he fought. Might have been Pettis. Might have been the uh, Holloway versus Pettis card. I'm going to find out now because I want to. Because they lost the main event. Very, very late in the build-up to that card. So yeah, I think it was UFC 206. That, yeah, we lost... We lost a lot of fights from that card. And then we wound up... Yeah, I think that was it. Because that, that whole... Yeah, the main card was Holloway and Pettis. Cerrone and Matt Brown. Crazy fight. Swanson and Duho Choi crazy fight. Cub Swanson and the Korean Superboy was nuts. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum abused Tim Kennedy. Uh, Mac and Mean. Serkinov and Krylov. I think that was it. Uh, yeah, and again, uh, in the aftermath of I believe it was that event... Luke Thomas said it best, and I do want to echo it because I think it's correct. That's your reward for being the type of fan who watches these events. Because, let's face it, guys, you know, if I bring up the list of most recent events, if you look at some of the ones that you kind of thought weren't going to be great, you know, Gustafson versus Smith from a couple of weeks ago, uh, was... Not an especially great night of fights. It was all right. And I'm not complaining about that event. But, you know, you look at that card on paper, you look at it in practice, yeah, it went about as expected. And it was, 
and a lot of that was kind of on the on the you know the decent side of things. Uh, you know, Dos Santos versus Lee, which was again was all right, but for those of us that will are willing to you know watch a lot of this stuff, we slog through a lot. There's a lot of slog. <laughs> There's a lot of slog. I mean, I oh god, the Iaquinta versus Cowboy card. I mean, Cerrone versus Iaquinta was solid. Burgos versus Swanson was okay. But man, the rest of that card. The rest of that card was not very good. And for again, those of us that are willing to sit through the the slog, every now and then you get rewarded for being that kind of fan. Last night again, nothing world-breaking, but a really good night of fights and it's again, we're going to be back to the slog pretty soon. I mean, next week might be a terrible card. I don't expect it to be a terrible card. There's there's enough potential there for me to not kind of go Oh boy, I'm not looking forward to it, but it could be a slog and it's more it tends to be more slog than great. But you do get rewarded for being that kind of fight fan every now and then. And last night was, I think, one of those rewards. So, thank you to everyone involved. Thank you to everyone who read and followed along with my coverage. Always appreciate it. Be that live or after the fact. Uh, Again, this was not a very well-publicized card, so if you forgot it was on and just kind of read what happened after, thank you very much for reading. There's a lot of places you can get what I do, and you choose mine, so thank you. That is humbling and motivating and terrifying (laughs) in somewhat equal measures. All right, next week, the UFC is back on ESPN for UFC on ESPN uh, 4, 3, excuse me, 3, and this is a relatively, okay, it's not that short a card, there's a few fights that do not have a finalized bout order yet, okay, but uh, yeah, the main event, Francis Ngannou and Junior Dos Santos. Two guys that have, in some respects, been shockingly rehabilitated over the last little bit. I mean, in it's less shocking in the case of Francis, given that Ngannou is you know kind of so young in the sport. I mean, he's 32, but heavyweight. You know, the rules are different for heavyweight. We all know it. But I mean, coming off, it wasn't so much the Stipe loss because. I think we all knew Stipe could win that fight. And he won it th- you know, largely the way we all kind of expected to win if he was going to win. And Stipe's, you know, maybe the best heavyweight in UFC history. I mean, I don't think Cormier really has the body of work as at the highest level at heavyweight. But, I mean, if Cormier beats Stipe a second time, Cormier's got a really good claim, too. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to diss Cormier at all. But you you losing to Stipe, the way he lost to Stipe is not when I I'd say not that big a deal. But when you get a guy who's, you know, he was 11 and 1 going into that fight, if if that guy with, you know, kind of the the way he was built up and the fights, the matchmaking he received, I don't think I don't think he got cans. Uh at really any point. Because Okay, Boyan Mihailovic, maybe a bit, but 
you know, the rest of them, you know, Curtis Blades, not a can, was a fellow prospect. Uh, Anthony Hamilton may not have panned out, but yeah, I, I don't think was a, you know, was like, was a legitimate UFC, had fought in the UFC before, was, you know, again, not a can. Then I'll Arlovsky and over him. But there's, when I say favorable matchmaking that led up to this, it's not that he was given easy fights, but he was given fighters who would tend to fight him, who would be inclined to fight him a certain way. And Stipe was not that guy. <laughs> and so again, the Stipe loss was a setback, but I don't think it was backbreaking, even as badly as he lost that fight. The Derek Lewis loss, that's kind of when things... Yeah, because, and again, not just that he lost, but how he lost, because that fight sucked. And there was some pretty serious questions about his ability to be rehabilitated uh, as a top-level heavyweight title contender or potential champion. And then in back-to-back fights, he stops Curtis Blades and Cain Velasquez. Um, And suddenly, here we are. And then, I mean, Junior's case is almost more shocking in some respects. I mean, after that, because Junior was up and down so much. After that second loss to Kane, I mean, a lot of us were concerned because those were those two fights, both the first loss to Kane and then the second, those were beatings. Those were prolonged beatings. Then he has a war with Stipe in their first fight. Great fight. Great heavyweight fight. Then he gets stopped by Alistair over him. Rebounds and is able to kind of outmaneuver and outbox Ben Rothwell. Gets a title fight that uh, it was benef- he benefited from circumstance a lot more than anything else. I think in that in that fight in particular, because at that point he'd been trading wins and losses. Uh, and Miocic stops him in the first round, clean. And I think a lot of us, and me, going to throw myself in there. I thought, okay, he's kind of done at the top level. Just the the abuse that he took in in the Velasquez fights, even in some, even in that first Stipe fight, those first two rounds were pretty rough for him. And I mean, he you know came back and was able to win the fight, but those two guys beat the crap out of each other in that fight. So I I think there was a lot of just you know he's too shop worn to really you know contend at the highest level anymore. Then he goes on a three-fight winning streak. I mean, he beats Blagojevinov in... It wasn't a... Again, not a gimme, but it was really kind of a... All right, if you can't win this kind of fight, or at least, you know, avoid getting embarrassed, we might really have to talk about you in the UFC. And he wins the fight, gets matched up with young up-and-coming Tai Tuivasa, stops Tuivasa in the second round, fights Derek Lewis... Stops Derek Lewis in the second round. And now is prepared to fight Francis Ngannou. And, I mean, the winner of this fight is probably your next title contender. I I don't know who else there would be. Okay. If Stipe beats DC and they do a trilogy fight, I can see that. But short of that, I think this is it. 
I think this is <laughs> this crowns your next uh, title challenger at heavyweight. It's a crazy sport, man. You know, it should be noted for Francis. If he wins this fight, and he very well might, in back-to-back fights, he will have bested Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos. Those two were the heavyweight division, basically. From, I mean, jeez. Where were we, we pegged Junior as being part... Probably after the Roy... I mean, Junior just stormed through that division, man. He came onto the scene, knocks out Verdum in short order, knocks out Stefan Struve, stops Mirko Krokop, knocks out Gilbert Ivel, knocks out Gabriel Gonzaga. I mean, the, his run-up to the title is still one of the more impressive things you'll see. He just was murdering guys. <laughs> batters Roy Nelson, batters Shane Carwin, knocks out Cain Velasquez in the first round, thoroughly outclasses and stops Frank Mir in the second round. I mean, good grief. That is a run. Then, you know, then he loses the rematch, knocks out Mark Hunt, gets a rematch with Kane, gets the third fight with Kane, loses that. But from, I think, around 2010, uh, both of these guys, check Kane, I want to make sure I've, uh, I think that's around the same time. Yeah. I mean, Kane has fought Kane came into the UFC at 2-0 and because no one would fight him. I mean, he won his first two fights outside the UFC. One of those was supposed to be for a tournament later that to continue, and the opponent just wouldn't fight him. He spent two years from his... Okay, a little less than two years, but he fought in Bodog. Anybody else remember Bodog? Uh, in December of 2006, and then didn't fight again until his UFC debut in April of 2008. Because they could not find him opponents. I mean, Ken Velasquez is a scary, scary man. You want to be just kind of your run-of-the-mill, regional-level heavyweight and fight that guy? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Uh-uh. If you can avoid that, you do. Uh, Then he tears through the division. I mean, you know, his run is pretty great, too. You know, Brad Morris, Jake O'Brien, Dennis Stoyic, Czech Congo, Ben Rothwell... He stopped all of those except Congo, and he put a beating on Congo. Stops Ben Rothwell, knocks out Big Nogs, finishes Brock Lesnar in the first. <laughs> but I think if we're talking this, you know, from about uh, 2010 until... How far would we say that goes? From 2000. From 2010 until about 2015, 2014, those two guys were the top of the heavyweight division. There were some other names in there, don't get me wrong. Again, you had Bigfoot with his TRE, or TRT, with the TUE, the alphabets, <laughs> the acronyms in this, sorry, the initializations in this, in the medical field and in this, as it pertains to this sport. And you had Verdum, who was doing good work for a period of time, and yet over again, you had some other, you know, good heavyweights, but those two, they were pretty clearly the. I mean, Brock was around, Carwin was around, but I, I think, especially in hindsight, Junior, and Kane, we all kind of knew were the class of that division. And Francis Ngannou is now in a position in back-to-back fights, to, pretty firmly put those two and 
again, this is heavyweight, so it's not to say they can't make another run. But if Junior gets badly knocked out here, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know for sure. I mean, again, it's heavyweight, it's crazy, but I think if he gets badly stopped, uh, that that's going to be... He will have, in back-to-back fights, stopped the two guys who were the top of the division up until about four or five years ago. That's a pretty crazy position for him to be in. As for the fight, oh, God. I mean, Junior's chin is just not what it used to be. If he... and Junior's a better fighter technically than Nganu, but... He also has some bad habits about his his ring generalship. He gets backed into the fence way too easily. He he works the body, which I like, but he tends to do it with his head in vulnerable positions, which Francis might be able to capitalize on. If Junior follows the Stipe game plan, and Junior, not really the wrestler Stipe is, but has good takedowns if he needs them. But even then, if he follows the jab, you use the jab, use the low kick, Use the feints to draw out Nganu, and then counter him from there and wear him out, swinging at air. He can win this fight. There's a lot of veteran savvy that he could put to use here. But I'm not sure his defense is sound enough. Because, I mean, Stipe got tagged a couple of times, and Stipe is more defensively uh, responsible than Junior is, as a general rule. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm rooting for Junior. Ah, screw it. I'll pick Junior. I'm going to regret this. He's going to wind up knocked out in scary fashion, and we're going to be building towards a uh, Nganu versus... <laughs> I mean, Nganu has almost no chance against Stipe, because Stipe could probably just replicate what he did in their first fight. And he has less of a chance against Cormier. Cormier is a better wrestler than Stipe. And actually has a... And Cormier's defense on the feet is built around kind of mitigating power punchers with his with his hand position, his hand guard. It leaves him more vulnerable to kicks, but Francis is much of a... I mean, it, was, it worked well against... St- I mean, Stipe found success in that fight, but he also did kind of struggle with the old mummy guard that Cormier uses. Because the mummy guard, as uh, Muhammad Ali called it that, and I think it, it because someone, you know, the Frankenstein guard would work as well. You know, they have their arms straight, kind of out like that. It disrupts punching lanes. It lets you, it makes them kind of glance. It's a really good strategy for deflecting punches. Uh, less so with kicks, but it would, it's, which is primarily what, again, John used to give him trouble. And Gustafson gave him problems, again, partially with kicks, a lot more with kind of the uppercut game was what really, and the knees, were really kind of gave Cormier problems. Stipe's not a big kicker, especially not a high kicker. Ngannou, I'm not sure, has really thrown much of a kick at all in his UFC run so far. But I still wouldn't, so I, I wouldn't give him much of a chance against either of those guys, but if he wins this fight, I think that's where the winner of this fight is headed, regardless of who it is. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick Junior. This is an emotional pick rather than a logical one, but uh, what do you want me to do? I, I won't. Let me say it again. I will not be shocked if Nganu just starches him. I really won't. He's got that kind of power, and Junior's a bit shopworn at this point. But if Junior's savvy and 
very, very precise in his application, uh, then there's a lot of the things that Stipe used to beat Nganu still work. And unfortunately, again, there's a lot of fans who don't really understand what he did. They just thought he out-wrestled him. And it wasn't that simple. It really wasn't that simple. If, if that's the takeaway you had, you really need to rewatch that fight and pay attention to how much Stipe jabs, how much Stipe low kicks, and how much Stipe use it, then utilizes those patterns to fake and feint and draw out the reactions of Nganu that he can then counter. If all you do is go in and just try to blast double him, I mean, that did not work out for Curtis Blades. Twice. It didn't work out for Kane. I mean, Kane Velasquez went out there and just tried to immediately bulldoze into the wrestling. Didn't work. You have to draw him out. You have to fake, you have to faint, you have to pepper him, you have to get him to overreact, because a lot of his motions are big. He has a lot of big motions to all of his stuff. And anybody that has big motions, and bear in mind, a lot of MMA fighters have very big motions. This is not unique to Francis. You, again, you, you want to draw those out and then counter. And that's what Stipe did so effectively. And if Junior can replicate that, he can have a lot of success. If he goes in there looking to swing the overhand right and just kind of trade with Francis, I think that will go less well for him. But again, relevant fight, solid heavyweight fight, all things considered. And the winner's probably your next title challenger. So, again, really good fight. I'm... I have no problems with that. Again, initially, the main event for this card was supposed to be uh, a rematch between Tyron Woodley and Robbie Lawler. Uh, that uh, Woodley pulled out of that with a hand injury, which sucked because I was okay with that fight as the main event. Uh, but I'm okay with this as the main event. So, good main event. Uh, your co-main event is at the flyweight level. <laughs> I don't know why the UFC just... Oh, God. You know, I think it's because they know if they cut flyweight division at this point, they're just going to be painted as the bad guys, so they're just going to drag it out until the media is basically saying, well, why don't you cut it already, and then they can cut it. Uh, Juicy A. Formiga will fight Joseph Benavidez. This is a good fight. This is a really, really good fight. These are two of the best flyweights in the UFC. Two of the better flyweights in the world. I mean, Benavidez... The last guy to beat Henry Cejudo on a two-fight winning streak. I mean, he had that fight against Sergio Pettis where he just looked terrible. But he's since kind of got his legs back under him. And Formiga on a four-fight winning streak uh, has only lost in the UFC to... This is a rematch, actually. Because he lost to John Dodson, got finished by Joseph Benavidez, lost a split decision to Henry Cejudo that I think Henry rightly won, but was a very, was a close fight. Cejudo's a very different fighter now. Now I don't think that would be a close fight. Uh, Lost to Ray Borg, then went on his winning streak. So this is a really good fight. It's a shame that it won't mean anything, (laughs) because flyweight. Um, I need a reason to pick against Joseph Benavidez. 
and I don't think Juicy A Formiga gives me those reasons. But I anticipate a high-paced fight. I anticipate a good scrap, lots of scrambles. Uh, I I love the I like the flyweight division. I know I'm one of the few guys, but I do. I like the I like that weight class. I like watching it. And I'm gonna be sad when it's gone in the near nearest future. But I think Benavidez wins, and I think continues treading water while Henry Cejudo does stuff. I assume. All right, at welterweight, next up, Damian Maya will fight Anthony Rocco Martin. Um, this is a good fight. Uh, Rocco's on a four-fight winning streak. He's undefeated since returning to welterweight when he beat Keita Nakamura. Uh, he's, he's got a good kind of hit list since he's moved back up. Beat Nakamura, beat Ryan LaFleur, knocked him out cold. Submitted Jake Matthews, beat Sergio Moraes in his last fight. That's a good, that's a really solid recent resume, actually. Again, you have to watch as much MMA kind of as I do to understand how good some of those wins are. I mean, the Marais win was really good. And the way he beat Jake Matthews. Uh, and knocking out Ryan LaFleur is no easy feat. So, but Damian Maya, man. I mean, what do you want to say about Damian Maya? Maya's coming off of that, he just kind of steamrolled Lyman good in typical Maya fashion. After, lo- I mean, in three in three consecutive fights, he fought Tyron Woodley, Colby Covington, and Kamaru Usman. I mean, I don't think you can get a rougher three-fight stretch than that. I just don't think you can. Um... Can't remember if I picked against Maya in his last fight. I'm I'm gonna pick Rocco Martin. I don't I'm gonna look stupid, I think, when Maya just does what Maya does generally, but I don't know. I think Martin is mu- is very mindful of where he is in the cage. And Maya's entire game plan involves pushing you back between the fence and the black kind of you know inner line and then shooting on you. And Martin can grapple. I Again, I grappling with Damien, especially if Maya is the one instigating takedowns and getting on top is a really, really tall order. And I'm, I'm prepared to look stupid come next week and, you know, and just kind of lament my stupidity for picking against Damien Maya when he's fighting you know, someone not the caliber of Tyron Woodley, Colby Covington, or Kamar Usman kind of thing. But I I got kind of a good feeling about Martin. I don't know. It's it's not a big feeling, but I think there's a lot of people who might look at this and go, oh, it's going to be another typical kind of Damian Maya fight against a lower-level guy, and I, and I don't think Martin is that guy. I don't think he's, you know, the guy that's just gonna kind of get drowned in the jujitsu easily. You know, I, I think he's a he's a he's a tough out, and I'm actually gonna pick him here. Might regret it, but I'm gonna do it. All right, Roosevelt Roberts will fight Vince Pichel. Pichel got kind of smoked by Gregor Gillespie his last fight, but Gregor Gillespie's really good, and Roberts. 
this is a step up for Roberts, actually. He's looked okay so far, but he hasn't fought anyone really... Yeah, I hate to, you know, besmirch his level of opposition thus far, but he hasn't really fought... a, a high level of opposition. He's 8-0. He's fought twice, I think, in the UFC. Yeah, he beat... Yeah, he beat Daryl Horcher and Thomas Gifford. And Vince Pichel is significantly better than both of those guys. And that's not to say Roberts can't win, but this is this is his like proper introduction to demonstrated UFC-level opposition. Because Pichel has been with the UFC since, what, 2012? He's had a couple of long layoffs. But He's only lost to Rustam Habilov and Gregor Gillespie. And he's got four wins in the UFC. Which is more than Horcher and Gifford combined. More than I think Horcher and Gifford will have combined by the end of 2019. Uh, so, I'm going to pick Pichel here, but... I mean, he's just kind of a rugged guy, and I'm not... But Roberts is a, is a very, very slick fighter, and there's a lot of potential there. So, again, solid fight. Uh, gonna go with Pichel. And let's see, next up we have Drew Dober and Marco Polo Reyes. Reyes got knocked out by Demir... Well, he got stopped by Demir Hadzovic. That was strikes from back mount, I believe. I mean, Reyes is kind of getting by based on being a crazy fighter. I mean, he's had some great fights. Um, he knocked out Cesar Zamendia. He knocked out Jungkyun Ma. That was a that was a fun that was a that was a wild brawl. Uh, beat Jason Novelli. Got stopped by James Vick. Beat Matt Frivola. Uh, you know, lot lost to Hadzovic. And Dober's a striker. Dober's going to oblige his sensibilities. Dober was uh, submitted by Benil Dariush's last time out to snap a three-fight winning streak. Yeah, but that was like Josh Berkman, Frank Camacho, and John Tuck. I'm gonna go with Reyes here, but uh, that one that one's got some fireworks potential. At light heavyweight, we have Paul Craig taking on Alonzo Menafield. Menafield is eight and oh, he's fought in the UFC once, I believe. Yeah, he knocked out Vinicius Moya. Whereas Craig pulled off in his last fight another third round uh, submission. Uh, he beat Kennedy and Chukwu, who's... Oh, that fight was dreadful. That was just a dreadful fight. Well, and Chukwu was dreadful. Yeah, submitted by... Uh, yeah, he hit that literal last second one against Magomed and Kaleev. I don't know about this one. I think they're trying to give Menafield a, a bit of a step up, but also a winnable fight. I'll go with Menafield, but I wouldn't be too shocked if Craig is able to you know, catch one of his submissions on the ground again. There's not a lot of light heavyweights who are comfortable consistently dealing with someone attacking off of their back the way Craig does. I mean, he's been stopped plenty of times, too, but... 
you have to really be prepared for a guy as active off of his back who's going to pull guard as much as Craig is. So I won't be shocked if he wins, but I I think uh, they're kind of setting up Menafield here more than anything else. Let's see. As for the prelims, Eric Anders will fight Vinicius Morea. Um, boy, they are really trying to. You know, they're really pitching some uh, some soft ball, softer balls there at Eric Anders. Uh, Morea is coming off of his first loss. Well, the, the aforementioned fight against Alonzo Menafield. Whereas Anders is on a three-fight losing streak, man. And I don't know. There's there's a lot of athletic ability within Anders, but he has got to start putting some stuff together in the cage. And if he's if he loses if he drops to four losses in a row here against a guy like Morea, might be time for him to head off to a, you know the regional scene and refine a few things and then maybe come back to the UFC later because that's a rough run that is a rough stretch of fights. I think he'll I'm gonna pick him here. I think he will win, but his back's up against the wall and he better know that. Let's see. Jared Gordon will fight Dan Moret. Jared Gordon's pretty, pretty much guaranteed to be an interesting fight. I mean, he's two and two in the UFC. Was stopped in both of his last losses to Carlos Diego Ferreira, then uh, Joaquin Silva. That was kind of a shame. I think he was winning the Silva fight. He was winning the Silva fight before he got caught. I mean, I like Jared Gordon. And you know, what's not to like? And Dan Moret. I don't know why I put an accent on that there. Uh, 13 and 5 has fought, I think, twice for the UFC. Lost them both to Gilbert Burns. Okay, Gilbert Burns. He lost to Alex White, though. Yeah, I'm going with Jared Gordon here. Uh, let's see. Jordan Griffin will fight Vince Murdoch. Either one of these guys fought in the UFC before? Murdoch has not. This will be his UFC debut. And Griffin lost to Dan Ige in his first fight in the UFC. Okay. Probably go with Griffin, but I don't know. that That's... I don't know anything about Murdoch, so... Could be wrong there. Uh, let's see. Justin Ledette will fight... Well, I am going to butcher this guy's name. Dolce... Woo boy. Lungambula? Lungiambula? Something like that? Where's he from? From the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to go with Lungambula until uh, I hear it pronounced, because I am not sure how some of those, uh, where some of the accents might be on that, or how many of those are meant to form. You know, letters in a slightly different alphabet. And <laughs> that's just our representation of them. Um, he is 8-1 and one overall. This is UFC debut. Excuse me. Um, Ledette's back is up against it a little bit here. 
mean, he's lost twice since dropping to light heavyweight. I mean, granted, Alexander Rakic, really good fighter, potential title challenger in the near future. And Johnny Walker, also potential title challenger in the near future. But I think he will win this one. I think he's... Ledette's got some skills, man, but he's really got to kind of put it together. Let's see. Next up, Emily Whitmire will fight Amanda Ribas. I think this is Ribas's UFC debut. Yes, it is. She is 6-1. and one. Her only loss is to Poliana Viana, who now fights in the UFC. And Whitmire, I think, just got her first UFC win. Nope, nope, she's undefeated. In the, she's 2-1 and one in the UFC. Yeah, she beat Alexandra Albu. It's kind of a one-sided fight, actually. I'll go with Whitmire, but these are two... They're both still developing as fighters, so... Could go either way there. And, let's see... Am I missing one? Did that fight just get moved up on the card somewhere? Yeah, okay, sorry, I missed one. Um, Journey Newsome. Name's their kid Journey. We'll fight Ricardo uh Ricardo Hamos. Uh Journey is nine and one. Let's see, he's lost to Benito. I wonder if that's the same Benito Lopez. Probably not given the No, no, it probably is actually. They're both Bantamweights. This is his UFC debut, whereas Hamos has fought a couple of times in the UFC. Uh, yeah, was last seen being stopped by Saeed Nurmagomedov. <laughs> um, I'll go with Hamos here. Uh, Ricardo Hamos is actually pretty good. And kicking everything off, Maurice Green will fight Junior Albini. This is do or die for Albini. I mean, straight up. Dude had a really good UFC debut when he beat when he stopped Timothy Johnson in the first round. Proceeded to kind of crap the bed or the diaper, given his nickname, against Andre Arlovsky. Got submitted by Alexei Olyanek and then finished by Jarzino Rosenstreich. Um, he really needs a win badly. Three and one, or one and three in the UFC on a three-fight losing streak is a bad place to be. And Maurice Green. I mean, Green's actually a pretty legitimate fighter. Uh, he's won both of his fights in the UFC. Wasn't he a kickboxing guy for a long time? Like, just... Because I could have sworn he was, you know, a really uh, a recognized kickboxer and has just kind of morphed into a really good MMA fighter. He had that uh, that fight with Jeff Hughes that kind of went and went split. Choked out Michelle Batista. You know what? I'm gonna go with Green. Um, I I don't know. I think Albini is just I don't know. He might just be a bust, and that happens. So I'm gonna go with Maurice Green there. But that's your card. I will have live coverage Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. So stop by, say hello. I always appreciate it when you guys stop by. I appreciate you just clicking. So thank you for those of you that do. Um, 
If you happen to leave a comment, also grateful because I don't, I don't really have access to the traffic my stuff generates. Pretty much the only way I know, the, the only way I have to measure if anyone's actually reading is people commenting, so I'm not fishing for comments, all right? If you just want to read and not say anything, fair play to you. Thank you for reading. That's more than enough. That's more than I deserve, quite frankly. So, uh, thank you very much for all of that. I do appreciate you guys. I know you can go so many places for what I do. So, thank you. That is always appreciated. Alright. UFC has made some fights official. Let's start with uh, a rematch between Valentina Shevchenko and Liz Carmouche. This will be for the women's flyweight title. It will take place at UFC Fight Night... Number you've seen ESPN plus fourteen. That will be the main event for the uh, the Ur- the uh, Uruguay card. Pfft, card. I have to put the accent on the R for for you know, Uruguay, and then I go back to saying it normally. Ugh, I suck. Um, Liz Carmouche is one of the only women in that division I can see having a path to beating Valentina Shevchenko. Carmouche does hold a win. Valentina Shevchenko has lost to two women in her entire MMA career. Amanda Nunes and Liz Carmouche. The Carmouche fight was a doctor stoppage due to a cut a few years ago. And to hear Valentina tell it, she was winning the fight pretty decisively. And then uh, Carmouche landed, I think it was a head kick. And there's, I mean, there's no footage of this, so it's all kind of apocryphal knowledge. And just opened up enough of a cut that the doctor wanted to stop the fight. And, you know, fair play. It's a way to win a fight. It's a legitimate way to win a fight. But, I mean, and you know, Shevchenko does have some kind of roots in the region, given that she, I think, lives in Peru now. And she, spe- I mean, she speaks Spanish fluently. I've said this before. Valentina Shevchenko is a stupidly talented woman. I mean, she speaks three languages well. She fights. She fights in a couple of different disciplines very, very well. She's a nearly competitive level shooter. She's a nearly competitive level dancer. Just a ridiculously talented woman. So she'll be able to do all the press and the media leading up to this and be able to do it in Spanish, which is an, uh, you know, a nice uh, bonus for the UFC in that area. Um, I I don't give Carmouche too much of a chance. Again, she's one of the few women that, given her abilities, I can see a path to victory for. But it's still a really hard road. I mean, she's going to have to get close, out-grapple Valentina in the clinch, get her down, and work safely from top position and just kind of work her over from there. That's really her path to victory. And... Given where Shevchenko is now as a fighter, I would need a pretty significant reason to pick against her. And while Carm again, Carmouche is one of the few women I see having a competitive fight with Valentina because, you know, what's Caitlin Chukagian gonna do? Shadow box and key eye at her? <laughs> and get kicked in the head. Like <laughs> I get that Chukagian, you know, is ranked as the number one contender, but I don't know if this is just a timing thing and she couldn't take the fight. Because of uh, no, she fought on the same card as Valentina. She might just not. The UFC just doesn't want to make that fight for whatever reason. 
and again, Carmouche does have a path to victory, whereas the almost the entire rest of that division, you put them across the cage from her, and I just kind of go, you know, you want to blindfold a cigarette kind of thing. Like, you're just in front of the firing squad. And that's simultaneously praise of Shevchenko's abilities and kind of maybe a bit of an indictment on the rest of the division, but I I got Shevchenko there rather rather heavily. Um, how's the rest of that card look? Yeah. I don't know about that card, man. I mean, it's, again, they're... The UFC's debuting in another country. It's Uruguay. So, and they're bringing out, you know, a, a very, very relevant... You get a title fight in the main event. The rest of that card is going to be a little bit on the iffy side. You're going to get a lot of the, the Latin American fighters. Loriano Staropoli's fighting Alexei Konchenko. Um, Adolfo Fierra's fighting Oscar Pijota. Veronica Macedo's fighting. She's from... Venezuela? Yeah, she is from Venezuela. And she's fighting Rachel Ostevich. Um, you, you're just going to see a lot of the guys that they tend to trot out when they go to South America. So, good main event. Rest of the card, eh, a little iffy at the moment. Let's see. Oh, the UFC also confirmed a middle the middleweight title fight between... Uh, Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya for the event in October in uh, Melbourne, Australia. UFC 243. Thank you. Not a hard fight to put, you know, the two biggest MMA fighters to come out of Oceania recently in a title fight against each other in Australia. Thankfully. <laughs> Again, sometimes it's, sometimes matchmaking's hard. Sometimes getting fights together is hard. Not that hard this time. Great, great fight. Can't wait for that fight. Really can't wait for that fight. That's going to be a great fight. I love Robert Whitaker, man. I love watching Robert Whitaker fight. Unfortunately, he's proved a little injury-prone at this point. Or just bad... I mean, some injuries, some just bad luck kind of thing. So... Hopefully he stays healthy and we get the fight because I I salivate over Whitaker and Adesanya fighting. That'll be ooh, that'll be great. That'll be great. That's the only fight announced for that card right now, but that's a great fight. Um, that does kind of bring me to a more generalized point. You know, there's some stuff coming up that the UFC has not announced yet that they're gonna need to. I mean, um. Let's have a look at this. The UFC on ESPN 5 card, August 3rd. So a little over a month. Does not have a main event. Um, or a co-main event. I mean, the the announced fights for this card. Claudio Silva and Ramazan Emiv. Decent fight. Not a headliner. Or a co-headliner. Or a featured fight. Nasrat Hakparast and Joachim Silva. Decent fight. I like Hakparast. Matt Schnell versus Jordan Espinosa, Scott Holtzman versus Dong Hyun Ma, and Lauren Murphy versus Mauro Romero Barella. Now, as far as, you know, undercards go, nothing's really jumping off the page at me, but 
that's decent enough. That said, again, this is on ESPN um, about a month away. I mean, not exactly a month, but a little over a month. And we don't have... Um, we don't... Half of those fights, we barely have a main... We don't even have a full main card. Much less main and co-main. Uh, UFC 241 is all finalized. More or less finalized. There might be a few things that get added to that, but that's more or less set. Good card. Really good card. Um... I mean, we kind of know where that one's going to go, but uh, the UFC on ESPN plus 16, so September 14th, does not have a venue. We know it'll be in British Vancouver, but no venue. Lockdown as of yet. Uh, a few fights announced, but yeah, no no real venue. The event that the UFC wanted to take place in Russia later this year, I believe it was in October, uh, yeah, no longer has a city. Uh, they were talking about it being in Sochi. That seems to have fallen through for one reason or another. Even when it was supposed to be in Sochi, we did not have a venue specifically. We just had, you know, the loose city. Now, neither of those things. Uh, and that That's coming up, guys. I mean, again, it's in October. So four months. Less than four months, depending on the specific date. But... I mean, again, I'm more forgiving of the stuff in, you know, late November into December and don't have a venue or a location, fine. But of the four events currently listed to take place in the month of October, we have a, we have a date, we have a location and a venue for exactly one of them. That, that being uh, the Whitaker versus Adesanya card. The UFC, uh, so the ESPN Plus events 19 and 20 which is set to take place on the 12th and 26th, respectively. No venue, no location. And the UFC on ESPN Plus 6 on the 18th. No venue, no location. Still time to lock those things down, but uh, not as much time as you think. And then, again, we have a bunch of cards that still need to be fleshed out. I mean, their return to Mexico City in September has nothing announced for it, other than uh, venue and... We have location and venue. But no fights. Uh, their debut in, in Denmark on September 28th. No fights. Now again, I'm less concerned about fights as I am, you know, being able to lock down a location. <laughs> but, oh man. So the UFC should be getting ready to announce a lot more uh, over the next... They might use the ESPN card. That or 239 the week after as kind of their opportunity to to announce a lot more of their scheduling coming up. I mean, it'll probably be 239, actually. I believe that's International Fight Week. That will be the first week in July there. So I expect, you know, that will be the, the big one when we get a lot more of the stuff fleshed out. But a lot of vacancies, man. A lot of TBAs, a lot of TBDs, a lot of open spots on cards that the UFC is having to fill, so... Something to pay attention to going forward, I guess. Uh, all right, what else do we want to touch on briefly? Um, oh, Henry Cejudo. The double champion, Henry Cejudo, went uh, underwent shoulder surgery this last week. And apparently we'll put him out until probably the... Uh, he'll probably be out for the rest of the year. 
Um, maybe if things, if his uh, recovery plan goes really, really well, maybe something in December. But a lot of the talk seems to be he's going to be out until 2020. Which is not a good thing for the UFC for a very specific reason. The UFC likes title fights on pay-per-views. And Henry Cejudo currently has two titles. And having those out of the rotation for half a year is a pretty big deal. So, my point being, don't be surprised if we get some kind of interim flyweight title before the end of the year, or the UFC just strips him of flyweight, and I don't even know what they'd do with it. But they want, you do want titles in the rotation for promotional purposes. And he's got two of them, and apparently he's out for the rest of the year. I mean, look, I don't blame the guy. He's had an insane schedule lately, and he's accomplished incredible things. So you, you know, you injure something that needs to get fixed surgically and you're just going to be out, that's part of the game. But if you're the UFC from a promotional standpoint, it's why they're a li- it's why they're kind of hesitant to really get behind, you know, champ champ situations because they have a schedule and they have titles that they want in play throughout the duration of that schedule and one guy having to defend two belts across an entire year with the amount of frequency they want them defended is a... I mean, no one's done it. No one has held two titles and defended both of them at the same time. Closest we got is Cormier, who had a couple of light heavyweight title defenses before winning the heavyweight title and then defending that. After he became heavyweight champion, he never fought at light heavyweight again. So far. Probably won't. You know, McGregor never defended a belt. So, it's a, it's a rough thing, man. It's a rough thing. So, don't be surprised if something, uh, something else comes out of that uh, along those lines. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else? Uh, let's refresh Twitter. Um... No, I don't want to... No, no. Okay, I talked about that last week. All right. I think that's going to do it for uh, this week then. So let's go ahead and get into plugs. Uh, For those of you who... I'll plug this for Jeff kind of in absentia. Um, He has a new... If you're not subscribed to the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast series that that Jeff hosts, you should. Uh, not that hard to do. The 411 Podcasting Network has a lot of good stuff. Lee of Larry Zonka talking professional wrestling. If you're a fan of that, you have this show, of course, if you're an MMA fan. And you have the interviews that Jeff does. He has an interview up with current Impact Wrestling wrestler, uh, former Lucha Underground guy, depending on what's up with Lucha Underground, uh, Willie Mack. So you can check out his interview with him. He's also got a review up of Toy Story 4, which I saw today and... We'll be reviewing Tuesday on Damn You Hollywood with Mark Radulich and Alexis Haina. And I don't know what to think about that movie. I am really I am really trying to get a handle on everything. As far as that goes, because I don't want to be one of those guys who just 
either has nothing to say or just screams about my emotional reaction because who cares? I If I can't articulate it properly, if I can't support my position with something other than, you know, just my base lizard brain emotional reaction, I don't think it's all that valuable to anyone. So hopefully by Tuesday I'll have some semblance of my thoughts on that. And you can tune in on... Again, someone will ha- will have stuff to say, that's for sure. Just hopefully it'll be as... Hopefully it will continue to be of a quality that you are... Those of you who listen to the show are used to, and... You know, hopefully better, but, uh... You know, try to get better every time. A little bit better each time, that's the goal. That's all you can really do. So thank you to those of you who listened to that. Uh, let's see. And then again, Saturday for UFC on ESPN plus three... Not plus three. UFC on ESPN 3. And I hope you'll stop by for that. We'll be back here next week. We'll have a review of that card and a preview of UFC 239. Uh, this is the big one for the UFC. Uh, this is... And it's a great card. Mostly a great card. Um, John Jones versus Tiago Santos as your main event. Really, really good fight. Um, you have Amanda Nunes versus Holly Holm. Um, you know, Holly, one of the few women who has some potential style issues that could trouble Nunes. I, I mean, I'm picking Nunes. <laughs> I have no reason to pick against Amanda Nunes at this point. Just none. This will be the last champion of 135 or 145 in the UFC that Amanda Nunes has not beaten. Because she smashed Misha Tate, she smashed Ronda Rousey, she smashed Chris Cyborg, and she's beaten Valentina Shevchenko once completely legitimately, once in a much closer fight. So everyone, every UFC women's champion at 125, thus, well, she hasn't fought Nico Montano. But, I mean, of all the UFC women's champions, she holds wins over a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, again, no one at 115, and, and then, you know, well, she hasn't beat your... No, she beat Jermaine Durand me earlier, didn't she? I'm pretty sure she has a win over Jermaine. Yep, she finished her in the first round in 2013. Amanda Nunes is a bad woman. That is a bad, bad woman. <laughs> so I expect her to win that fight and maybe retire afterwards because that is the... Like, I don't know what... I don't know what goalpost you could then move, and I mean that in a positive way. I don't know, you know, you always want to be pushing yourself. You want to get to the mountain and then move on to the next one. If she has now beaten every former champion in two weight classes in the UFC, and she has, I don't know what... (laughs) I mean, unless unless she really wanted to go for, you know, most title defenses... I mean, even then, she's got... She's already got three. And this would be four, because this is at bantamweight. I mean, unless she really wanted to get that goal. I think that's the... I mean, that's kind of the last, you know, thing she could really shoot for as far as... uh, As far as, like, records or milestones, because... Other than that, man... Like, she's got it all. She is... 
Uh, that that event also has Jorge Masvidal and Ben Askren. Really good fight. Luke Rockhold debuting at light heavyweight against Jan Blahovich. So it's uh, it's a good card thus far on paper. Hopefully it holds together. And next week we'll have a full preview of that event. So please come back for that. Until then, my gratitude again for you all listening. Please share us with your friends. Please, however you found us, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, uh, Transistor, whatever. However you have found us. Interact with the content in some way, please. It helps the analytics. I'm not asking for a five-star review. Everyone asks for a five-star rating. Alright, look, if you think this is one-star content, give me a one. (laughs) If you think it's somewhere bland and in the middle, fine. Go two and a half if you can. (laughs) Uh, But please interact with it somehow. Just, Just a little bit, if at all possible. Much appreciated if you can. We'll be back next week. Hopefully Jeff will be back with us. Until then, thank you again. Stay safe out there. And please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.